0: what's your backstory? My last name is Dunmire, D-U-N-M-I-R-E, and my whole life I was told that our family origin is back in Germany, and we are part of uh, the many German immigrants who came to the United States through, through Pennsylvania. I've never lived in Pennsylvania, but I, my children are seventh generation Western New Yorkers, but uh, we're part of those uh, uh, German immigrants in Pennsylvania called the, the Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, not because they're from Netherlands and would be properly Dutch, but because of a misunderstanding and a mispronunciation of, of uh, the German name in the, in the German language. And so we've always been told that we're Pennsylvania Dutch. And we're, we're German and Dutch, and that's our roots, and that's our origins, that's our kin. And in fact, 82% of the people in the world who have my last, 82% of the people in our nation who have my last name live in Pennsylvania. And in particular, if there is a hotspot for the last name Dunmire, it is in no place other than Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Uh, why are you laughing? They've they got to laugh in both services. Uh, Punxsutawney is, of course, it's about three hours straight south of here and is most known for a holiday coming up in a few weeks called Groundhog's Day. By the way, Groundhog's Day has its origins in a Christian festival called Candlemas, a little-known little festival called Candlemas, kind of like Christmas, but Candlemas, where the, the German Christians would celebrate when Jesus was presented as an infant in the temple. And Simeon is there. This is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And so as part of this celebration, they would celebrate this in early February every year. And so these German immigrants to Pennsylvania brought this festival with them. And somehow... Uh, and inexplicably, they decided to tie into that festival pulling a rodent out of the ground to see if it would see its shadows and if there would be an early spring. I don't know the connection. I don't know how that came together. But that's the, it, it has its roots in Christianity, and it's a part of my heritage as somebody who uh, supposedly has German and Dutch heritage. But a few years ago, I was doing some digging into my family history and my, my family origins, and I found that my last name, D-U-N-M-I-R-E, is actually Scottish In origin. And nothing against the Germans, nothing against the Pennsylvania Dutch, but I got kind of excited about that. I thought, you know, I want to paint my face like Mel Gibson and Braveheart and shout freedom. I wanted to uh, buy a bagpipe for my kids and give them bagpipe lessons. I wanted to buy a kilt. Uh, you know, I was excited about trading a groundhog for the Loch Ness Monster. I was pretty jazzed about this. In fact, that around the same time that I discovered this, my older brother also had discovered this. And we were talking about it, comparing notes. And for Christmas that year, he got me this beautiful framed history of our, of our family name and the origins. And right at the bottom it says, Origin Scotland. And we both said, That's just, it's such a more colorful history to us. It felt like such rich history and something kind of unique about that. And we had no idea about that. We had never known that. We were always told Pennsylvania Dutch, German what's your backstory? There's been an explosion of interest in the last 20 years into people digging into their family trees and digging into their genealogy and DNA tests to see if you have relatives out there somewhere. And they found that over the last 20 years there's been such an explosion in this that genealogies and family tree research is now the second most popular hobby in America to gardening. And DNA and genealogy research is now a multi-billion dollar industry. In fact, in 2020, companies and websites that are involved in this have seen anywhere from a 37% increase in traffic to a doubling of the number of clients and customers that they have as there's been just an explosion over the last 12 months of interest in family history and family origins. What's your family backstory? We're in the backstory right now looking at the Old Testament, which is the backstory of the Bible and the backstory of Jesus. And we're looking into the backstory to see what the, the foundations and the family tree that we have inherited is. And this morning, I'm excited to dig into one particular family that is represented in the book of Genesis. We're, we're in the second week of this series, looking at 100 days over the Old Testament. There's a reading plan to go along with this. I hope that you're all reading along with us. And, and this week, we'll be reading through a bunch of chapters in the book of Genesis. And in particular, this morning, we're gonna look at a man named Jacob, who's part of a key family in the book of Genesis and in the Old Testament that's key to unlocking our understanding of what, what's going on in this passage. And Jacob has a brother named Esau and they had an all-time great falling out. A giant rift between these two brothers and Jacob is on his way to, to see if they can reconcile or to see if they can mend fences. And as he's making his way there, we come across this scene in Genesis chapter 32, which we're going to look at this morning. And before we turn to the scriptures, I just want to pray for us as we do. Thanks, Lord, for this morning and for your word. Your word, which has been faithfully passed on to us by, uh, by generations that have gone before us and loved you and sought you with our whole hearts, and we seek you this morning with our whole heart. Open your word for us by your spirit. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jacob is preparing for this reunion with his brother, and this is what he prays, verse nine. Then Jacob prayed, O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will attack me and also the mothers with their children. But but you've said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. Notice what he, how he addressed God, the name he used to call God. He says, "O God of my father Abraham, O God of my father Isaac," and the fact that this is Jacob praying this, he's invoking the name of his father and of his grandfather. And these three names tied together when they appear together, this like trilogy of names: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is like a secret handshake in the Bible. It's this, it's, there's so much more packed into these three names that are invoked throughout the Old Testament and throughout the entire Bible that we need, before we can see what's going on with Jacob in this passage as he faces his reunion with his brother, we need to look at who these men are and why they're so important, why they're in this story and why they're so important in the Old Testament. And the first of these names is Abraham. God called out to Abraham and established a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies, as, as plentiful as the sand on the seashore, you're never going to be able to even count them all. And at the time God made this promise to, to Abraham, he, was, he and his wife Sarah had no children. They were in, in their senior years, well past childbearing years, and God makes this promise to them that now, suddenly in their old age, they're going to have a child and their descendants are going to be so plentiful. Abraham's name actually was originally Abram, which means exalted father. And God said, No, 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 your name is now Abraham, which means father of many nations, which seems at first like an ironic name, like calling a bald man curly or like calling a, calling a slim man, a large man slim, or like calling a preacher interesting. But, but this becomes true. This is born fruit in his life. And Abraham and Sarah have a son whose name is Isaac. And we see Isaac. Isaac is perhaps most, most famous for, uh, for the way that God, that God promises this child to Abraham and Sarah. In fact, uh, maybe one of my favorite scenes of that promise is when God promises Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a son. And it's so unbelievable that, that Sarah snickers to herself as she hears this promise, overhears God telling this promise to Abraham and after, after she, God hears her laugh, he says, what's that? Did you just laugh at me? He said, no, 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 I, di- I didn't laugh at you. Sarah says, yes, you did laugh at me, didn't you? And this is awkward exchange. as Sarah's trying to cover up her laughter to God. And so eventually they name Isaac, Isaac, which means laughter. Because it's just such an unbelievable miracle that God would give them this child. And then this leads to these generations and generations. And in fact, one of the, the scenes from Isaac's life that perhaps he's most known for, is when he had, after he had been born and he was kind of growing up, God called Abraham to take Isaac. God says, your only son, Isaac, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And it's a horrible, heart-wrenching, tension-filled scene as Isaac and his father Abraham walk up the mountain and in the 11th hour, God intervenes and says, no, 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 as if to say the other gods that you're familiar with in this land may require child sacrifice, but not me, not me. That's not the way we roll. And it's a bit of foreshadowing God then instead of requiring Abraham's firstborn son, he provides his own firstborn son many years later on a mountain as well. And Isaac himself goes on to have two sons, Jacob and Esau. In fact, uh, Jacob is one of two sons. He's one of two twins. Twins tend to come in pairs. And he's actually the second born of the twins. As a father of twins, I can tell you that when all other things are equal, birth order matters to twins. They're even in a place where it doesn't necessarily get you any family rights or get you a greater share of the inheritance or get you the crown. Yet twins are very much interested in who was born first. And for Jacob and Esau, Esau was the one actually born first. So You would actually expect that the formula would be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But part of what sets up the scene that we're looking at today is that Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright or tricked his brother out of his birthright and claimed that place of the firstborn, even though he was the secondborn. And that's part of the rift. That's part of the falling out. That's part of what causes Jacob to have to run for his life. And now, after all these years, he's going back to his brother fearing for the worst and sure that things are going to go horribly wrong. And so actually, he sends ahead of his his wives and his children and everyone ahead of him with the hopes that this is going to smooth things over, that maybe it won't go quite so bad as he has this reign with his brother. Here's why this all matters. Here's why this is so important. Because when we look at the Old Testament, it can look from our vantage point, looking back in all this history, like it's just a bunch of random stories all hodgepodge together, this ancient world that we don't understand, and ancient people that we don't, understand, don't know how to pronounce their names even, in places that we don't know about. But... Actually, the Old Testament, one way of reading the Old Testament is that it is really one family and one family line tracing from Abraham all the way through Isaac and Jacob and their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. we see this family line being traced throughout the entire Old Testament, over and over again, page after page. We're watching this family line being traced out. And so throughout this series, throughout this 100-day challenge, as we're looking at the backstory of the Old, Old Testament, We're going to share every week things we want you to look for this week, things to be paying attention to in your reading. And and this week and throughout the next hundred days, be looking for this family and notice how many times this family tree continues to emerge, continues to show up in the story. And in fact, this family line that begins with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and goes on on to Joseph and Judah and many, many others, eventually reaches its climax in a manger in Bethlehem as Jesus is born as the Savior of the world. So there is this thread that we're going to see weaving throughout the Old Testament as we go through these hundred days. And at this point, that's all background to what happens next. As Jacob is getting ready to face his brother and says in verse 22, that night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left all alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, get this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob has this night of tension and anxiety, kind of a sleepless night, all on his own. He has this expansive family. Earlier in this prayer, he says, God, when I came here, I had a stick, and that was it. And now I've got this expansive family, this whole caravan. We're two camps that are making our way back home, but now he's back to just him. It's just Jacob. And spending this night alone. And kind of mysteriously, this figure shows up. We're, we're not told at this point who this person is. It's not even He's not even given his own sentence. He's just there, kind of injected in the story, that there is this mysterious figure who shows up that night and starts wrestling with God. And Jacob doesn't know who it is yet. The passage doesn't tell us who it is yet. But spoiler alert, God is wrestling with Jacob on this sleepless night. It's kind of a mystery. It's kind of a, a wonder of why, why God would show up in this night in this critical night and wrestle with Jacob at this time. And of course, God doesn't need to wrestle with Jacob. God can just pin Jacob. He can just snap him in two if he wants and leave him there in a bruised and bloody heap. But no, God lets Jacob wrestle with him. I mentioned I have one brother, he's six years older than me, and through my whole life, because of him being six years older than me, he was quite a bit bigger than me and, and quite a bit stronger than me. When I was in first grade, he was in sixth grade. When I was in sixth grade, he was in twelfth grade. He was always bigger than me, always stronger than me, always faster than me. We'd be out riding bikes, I could never keep up with him. We'd we'd be playing football or baseball together, and I could never hit as well as he could, I could never throw as far as he could. And it, you know, don't tell my mom and dad, but as younger brothers are prone to do. I would sometimes kind of agitate him or I'd go in and bother him when he was working on homework and poke him and kind of elbow him or pinch him and do those things that little brothers do to antagonize their older brothers. And we'd always end up wrestling and I would always lose and I'd always have to say uncle at the end with my arm pinned behind my back. And that was just life growing up as a younger brother. That he had it on me. He was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. He would say that he's smarter and better looking than me. And that's just my lot in life. Then I went off to college and the first time I came home from college after my first semester for Christmas, we had a bunch of family over for Christmas, and we'd set up tables and extra chairs and had the whole spread of food. And when all the company had left, all the aunts and uncles and cousins had left, uh, my brother and I were putting everything away. And one thing led to another. I don't know quite how it happened, but we got to scrapping again for the first time in years. It had been ages. And no longer were we just like little kids. We were now like two bulls in a china shop wrestling in my mom's house and so we get to scrapping and one thing leads to another and unbelievably for the first time in my life I pinned him and he's he's laying on the ground pinned under me there's nothing he can do and he said how'd you do that I "I have no idea I'm as surprised as you are and he's frustrated he gets up and he said I don't know how you did that and he comes at me again and one thing leads to another and I pin him a second time and I kid you not to this day he calls me sir Not really. I probably have to buy him coffee now for that. But here's what's going on here. Growth requires struggle. Growth requires struggle. Whatever is going on in Jacob's life, whatever the meaning of this wrestling is, why ever God showed up in this form of this mysterious man to wrestle Jacob that night, Growth requires struggle. And, and all scholars believe that whatever happened here, something broke in Jacob in this night. He was a deceiver and a schemer, somebody working in the shadows, working behind the scenes, tricking his brother, tricking his dad, tricking people all throughout his life, scheming behind the scenes. And finally, in this moment, something breaks in Jacob as he wrestles with God over the course of this night. And, and it, it breaks something loose, that this night of struggle leads to the most significant growth that Jacob ever experiences in the pages of Genesis. And I wish it was not so. I wish that it was true that we grow most in our victories and in our ease and in our comfort and in our pleasures, that that we grew most on our vacations and on holidays, but we grow most in the valley, not on the mountaintop. Growth requires struggle. And if we pulled the most holy, and mature believers in this room and ask them to describe to us the times when they grew most, it would not be in the times of sweetness and joy. It would be in pain, the times of sorrow and pain and struggle because growth requires struggle. I was thinking about this yesterday during the fourth quarter of the game. I grew up up in North Tonawanda and my daughter was in the room watching the game with me and I looked over and realized, it was the first time it really hit me, that the last time that the Bills won a playoff game, I was the age that she is now, and just to think about how much life has transpired for me and uh, during that time, uh, since I was the age that she is now, and the sweetness of the Bills' first playoff victory in 25 years is made sweeter by all those nine and seven, uh, seven and nine seasons, by all those draft picks who turned out to be busts and all the, all the other changes and struggles and joys and the years maybe being in the wild card race and may, being in the hunt on those playoff listings, all those years of struggle, the drought makes having Josh Allen as our quarterback so much sweeter. And the same thing is true in our lives. The mountaintop is so much sweeter because of the valley. The morning is so much brighter because of the dark night. And growth requires struggle. And maybe some of you are in the middle of the dark dark night right now. You're in the middle of the mess. You're in the middle of the struggle. And maybe the prayer for you today is the prayer that Jacob prayed. Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Maybe you'd say, Lord, this marriage stuff is harder than they said, but I will not let you go until you bless me. Lord, sobriety is so very daily, but I will not let you go until you bless me. Lord, the kids have grown into teenagers, but I will not let you go until you bless me. Lord, middle school might just kill me, but I will not let you go. Lord, 2021 seems to be off to a hot mess of a start, but I will not let you go until you bless me. Well, that was Jacob's prayer, and as he prayed it, he got more than he bargained for. Look at verse 27. The man asked him, What's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome Israel. This name means wrestles with God or struggles with God. And Jacob said, wait, 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 please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. I love this moment in the scene where Jacob doesn't still realize who, who exactly it is that he's wrestling with, who he's in this struggle with. And finally, he says, I'm, he's, imagine this is kind of ironic and humorous when you think about this, that Jacob has God in a headlock, thinks that he's in charge. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Say uncle, God, say uncle. And finally, God in this moment says, what's your name? Of course, God knows Jacob's name. But he says, what's your name? And he tells him, he says, not, not anymore. It's now Israel because you have wrestled with God and overcome. And there you can almost see the look of surprise and wonder on Jacob's face as He says, wait, 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 who, who are you? And the answer is almost as if to say, you already know. And he does. There he realizes that he has been struggling and wrestling this night with none other than God himself. And this name Israel, I I think this whole scene is a microcosm of A little window into the, the whole relationship that God has with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob throughout their history, and this name Israel, not only is a new name for Jacob but it becomes a name for the entire people of God as they 've gone through the years to this day a way of symbolizing that their relationship that this unique family line, that this unique family, that their relationship with God is not defined by anything other than wrestling and struggling with God, that God is not intimidated by the struggle, but he welcomes it, and he engages us even in the wrestling. And even even in the struggle. Jacob's name had meant to follow behind or to be a deceiver, to be a supplanter. And now, just like Abraham got a new name and Sarah got a new name, now Jacob gets a new name. You are the one who wrestles with God. My family discovered something interesting about our family name, and we're kind of still celebrating that to some extent to this day. And names are a huge factor throughout this passage and throughout the book of Genesis as we see people get new names and what their names symbolize. And there are two things I want to point out here that A, there is the names that Jacob and Abraham and Isaac called God, and they called God, we have these up on the screen, they called him, in the Hebrew, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. They called him El Elyon, which means God Most High. They called him El Olam, which means Everlasting God. They called him El Roi, which means the God who sees me. They called him Yahweh Hira, or Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. They called him El Bethel, the God of the house of God. And they have these eloquent, beautiful, majestic names for God that represent his holiness and his power and his majesty and his sovereignty, that there is no one like him there is no one second close to him. He is on, on a plane all of his own that he is unique and unrivaled in all of history. And yet when God introduces himself, he doesn't invoke those names. He doesn't reach for those names and pull out the, the most myst- majestic or mysterious name that he can call himself. Instead, when God introduces himself so often, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is Stunning. In fact, that, variations of that phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appear in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 and 2 Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Jeremiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, that God so often reaches for this name, not saying, I am powerful, not that I am the creator of all things, that if you want to know who I am, look at them. I am their God. He, he looks not for his power and his prestige, but to his relationship. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, And Jacob, it's kind of like when you're a teacher or you're a student and and you get to know a teacher in the classroom and you get to know the teacher or professor in that setting and you call them Mr. or Mrs. so-and-so or Dr. or Professor so-and-so and and, and then you finish the class or you finish the degree and you graduate and you get to know them. And this has probably happened quite a few times here in this church where students and teachers have their lives crossed in adulthood or after they've graduated or finished the class. And when the teacher says, no, please call me Rob." No, please call me Bob. Uh, please, please call me Elizabeth or Rebecca or Kristen. Call me by my first name. It feels uncomfortable for the student at first to make that shift. It feels too familiar, too close. But that's essentially what God is doing here. No, 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 no. Call, call, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is most important to me is this relationship. In fact, Abraham, three times in the Bible, twice in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament, is called the friend of God. In the ancient world, you understand... In the ancient world, for someone to be called the friend of God was absurd. It was ludicrous to think that you could be a friend of God. We cower in fear of God. We, we keep God as far away as possible. Uh, we, we keep God in the distance. A friend of God. Are you kidding me? But this line traces down from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on down through the lines and through the pages of the Old Testament reaches its climax in a manger in Bethlehem. And Jesus, the son of David, Jesus, the son of Abraham, gathers his 12 disciples around him and says, I've called you friends. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, calls us into friendship, relationship, to be with us, to go with us. What's in the name? This shows us so much about the character of God and who God is, That he is God Almighty. He is God Most High. He is the everlasting God. He is the Lord, our provider. He is the God who sees me. But even more than that, he is the God of wanderers. He is the God of the childless. He is the God of the miracle children. He is God of laughers. He is the God of ordinary people. He delights in families and ordinary families. He's God even in the midst of the mess. He is there with us, even in the mystery, even in the dark night, even in the nights of struggles, even the nights when we cannot fall asleep. He is there with us as we wrestle with our doubts and our hopes and our fears. God is the God of the people. People who struggle through the mess of life. And here's the thing. Growth requires struggle. But we are the people who wrestle with God. <clears throat> What's in a name? What this shows us is that walking with God does not mean having all the answers. Walking with God does not mean having it all buttoned up and having no mystery still dangling. Walking with God doesn't mean you've got to get the mess all straightened out before you can start. Walking with God looks like two brothers wrestling on Christmas Eve. It looks like Jacob wrestling with God on a sleepless night. Walking with God looks like a teacher and a student becoming friends. Walking with God is, means that even in the midst of our anxiousness and our anxiety and our fears and our hopes and our doubts, Walking with God means wrestling with God, and we are the people who wrestle with God because he's our friend. He wants to be our friend. He doesn't mind if we wrestle. He doesn't mind if we struggle. He just wants us to struggle with him. He wants us to wrestle with him up close. Well, Jacob now takes a moment to reflect. Look at verse 30. It says, So Jacob called the place Peniel, Saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And now Jacob knows. He didn't know all night, he didn't know until the stranger was gone. As Walter Brueggemann says, In the morning, when the sun came up, the stranger is gone. And even Jacob is gone. Only Israel remains, the man who wrestles with God. Maybe you're one of those people this year who's been digging into your family tree, looking into your genealogy, trying to learn something maybe you didn't know about your family and your family line. Uh, There's a lot of theories and a lot of reasons why people go digging into their ancestry. There are personal reasons, things that we want to have answered. But collectively, one of the prominent theories of what has, risen, what has led to this significant increase in, in and increase in just surge in interest in genealogy is that people are looking for a place to belong. We're seeking connection. Is there somebody out there? Some relative of mine that I don't know about. Is there some way, is there some way that I can do this digging and find some place that I belong I don't know about your family, I don't know about your family line and your family tree, but I know that because Jesus was the son of Abraham, we can all get in on this one. That the ultimate place of belonging, the ultimate longing of our heart and soul for a place to fit and to be is in the bosom of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who calls us friends. Maybe some of you have You've been a part of the family for a long time. You've walked with Christ for a long time, but something has happened. There was some trauma. There was some incident. There was something that just caused a rift in that relationship. You're angry at the people of God. You're angry at God himself. You're kind of miffed at him and you kind of have God at arm's length. And maybe your prayer this morning needs to be, oh Lord, forget that. I will not let you go until you bless me. Maybe there are some of you who it's not even a willful decision. It just kind of happened over time where you've walked with God, but it used to be red hot as we sang earlier. It was a it was a flame that was burning bright, but somewhere along the line, it got cool. It, it wasn't a decision you made. It just kind of happened. And it's time to get back in the ring, to get back in the, the middle of the ring, to not toss in the towel, but to grapple with God, to Get God in a headlock and let him laugh at you and say, yeah, bring it on. Let's go. And maybe others of you, you've never crossed that line in your heart, made that decision to leap all in and say, "Uh, Lord Jesus, you can have all of me. Jesus, uh, have all that there is of me. Have your way with my heart. I'm done fighting. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I don't want to be your adversary. I don't want to be... I'm sick of not being on speaking terms. I want to... Being friends sounds really, really good. Count me in. In a few moments, I want to invite you to pray about that. So what's your backstory? What's in the name? We found this exciting news about our Scottish heritage. and uh, My brother got me this this plaque, this, this framed history. We keep this framed with a lot of our fam- favorite family pictures to remember our heritage and... Uh, And this surprising uh, insight that we found in our family. And the year that he gave me this for Christmas, my aunt on the Dunmire side of the family was there and she said, well... I said, oh no, don't take this away from me. She said she had done some of her own digging into our family tree and she had found that, yes, in fact, the spelling of our last name, D-U-N-M-I-R-E, was the Scottish version but she said in her own digging into our family history, she had found that somewhere, somehow, sometime along the way, somebody in our fam- family had changed the spelling of our name from the German way to the Scottish way. And I said, oh. So she said, don't get too excited. You're not Scottish. We're German and Dutch. Well, I got to be Scottish for a few minutes there. You'll, you'll never have to see me in a kilt. Well, well you never know. Never say never. I almost got to trade Punxsutawney Phil for the Loch Ness monster, but even in that, even in that moment, I got to learn something new about my background, my backstory, my family of origin. What's in the name? Our God calls Himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and He is the God of wanderers and laughers and strugglers and doubters, and He calls us friends. What is in a name? We are the people who wrestle with God. Let's pray together. Oh God. God of our father, Abraham, of Isaac, Jacob. Father of our Lord and Savior Christ. What a wonder to be able to be part of this story. Take our story and to be welcomed into this grand story, this, this story you've been writing since the dawn of creation. And for those who maybe for the first time need to jump into that line and want to join into this family, but you just pray with me, oh Lord. Being a friend sounds really good. Oh God, I want to take shelter under the name of Jesus. You can have my whole heart. You can have my future. You can have my past. I give it all to you. Make your way with me. Have your way with me. I will not let you go until you bless me. I take shelter in the name of Jesus. I put all my hope in the name of Jesus. I place my future and all of my regrets for the past. I, I, I ask for your forgiveness for my sins. I repent of who I've been. And I want to belong whole heart whole heart, lock stock and barrel to you. Would I pray here in this place, in this room or where I am, would you seal in heaven? I pray this in the name of Jesus. For those of you who maybe would say, "The relationship is cool, the flame has died down. Would you just pray with me, Oh, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. I have loosened my grip. My heart has grown cool, and Lord, I just pray you would do a new work by your Spirit in me. That you would have all there is of me, that you would have my steps, you would use my hands, you would use my voice to bless you and to bless your people. That as you made this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blessing them to be a blessing, would you help me to be a blessing to the world around me, to be your hands and feet, and to walk with you in close company, to wrestle with you through the sleepless nights. And oh God, to be your friend. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our voices again in song and then Ken is going to come with a few more words.